Shalom from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to Conversations with Yael podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each month, I will invite leading thought leaders, pastors, rabbis, and other influential guests to discuss the importance of Israel in the world today. For those familiar with my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, which explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith, this podcast takes that understanding and translates it into ongoing support for Israel among Christians and the critical need to nurture that support with the next generation of Christians. Join me now as we begin this important dialogue. I can't think of any better way to begin the new year, 2023, than by having my dear friend and partner in ministry, one of my really dear and fundamental mentors in life, Bishop Paul Lanier. He's joining us today on the podcast. And for those of you who have been following my podcast for the past two years, you know that Bishop Lanier and his huge heart for Israel and God's people play a very big role in this podcast, in my life, and in the life of the ministry. For my podcast newbies, in addition to leading his own flock at Hope Community Church back home in Winston-Salem, Bishop Lanier has faithfully served on the board of directors for the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews for five years and as board chairman for three years. I've said it before and I will say it again. I have never seen anyone lead us with such grace, passion, and commitment. I learn from him every time I hear him speak. Not only has Bishop Lanier and his church raised more than $1.8 million to bring more than 4,200 Jewish souls back to their biblical homeland, Israel. He just returned from the very heart of the conflict in Ukraine on behalf of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews to give comfort and hope to the people suffering there, the second of such visits he has made since war broke out almost one year ago. Today, Bishop Lanier joins me for a very special podcast as the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews launches its 40th anniversary year, rejoicing in 40 years of obeying God's command to feed the poor, clothe the naked, care for the widows and the orphans, and fulfilling biblical prophecy by bringing God's children from all four corners of the world home to Israel. Thanks to our faithful donors, many, most of whom are Christians, over the past four years, we have raised nearly $2 billion to help Jewish people in need around the globe. We've helped more than 760,000 Jews from 50 countries escape poverty and persecution to start a new life in Israel, their biblical homeland. And while we celebrate our past achievements throughout this year, we are also looking ahead to where God will lead us next. And I am confident with Bishop Lanier at my side, we will continue to accomplish great things in God's name. Bishop Lanier, welcome, my friend. I thank you so very much. It's such a joy to be with you today. I have been hearing you talk for... uh, 
well over five years, because even before you joined the board of directors, I, I was uh, speaking to you, learning from you. And every time I hear you speak, my heart is inspired anew. I learn new things. I feel closer, not only to God, but to Israel, to myself, to my Christian brothers and sisters. So I am so excited to be starting 2023 like this. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Let's jump right into what everyone is thinking about now as we start the new year, the situation in Ukraine. We've seen the infrastructure be knocked out. It was dark and cold when you went to go visit them, and that reality, unfortunately, hasn't changed very much. Can you tell us a little bit about your trip and what you witnessed firsthand on the ground in Ukraine? Well, first of all, it is, is such, I'm so grateful for the, the privilege and the honor of sharing this time with you. Um, I have been on the board for, uh, for five years. We started giving in 2009 and for 13 years ago and our congregation in uh, 2013, I think it was. And uh, being on the board uh, was one perspective and then being chair was another perspective but nothing prepared me for this year of being on the board and being the chair. The first two years of being on the board, everybody was shut down. So most of our conversations were very different. But this year, it was almost immediate that we were thrust into a face-to-face -face confrontation with realities um, that we all wanted to avoid. And, and I have to say, that what positions this fellowship in, in a such a unique situation is your father was such a part of the conversation of Ukraine for decades before people were talking about it. And even days before the war began, most recently, you were standing there on the streets, looking into the cameras and appealing to the people and even warning them of what was coming. And so by the time... Um, others were saying, hey, this is tragic, this is horrible, and we need to do something, we need to have a meeting, we need to talk about this, what can we do? Um, the fellowship was already boots on the ground. And, and uh, I think one of the, the biggest uh, impressions made on me in this is that uh, the fellowship is so deeply meshed in the anguish of hurting people in Ukraine. And we didn't have to come up with ideas. We didn't need um, to, to have emergency council meetings. We were already there. And so I'm sure we'll talk in a moment about March and Moldova. But what I saw just days ago uh, was a change in, I, I don't know if the word is psyche or what, but when I got there months ago, people had been so blindsided. And what I felt, what I felt so intimately just days ago was a sense of betrayal and anger, uh, pain, um, despair, loneliness. Uh, I would ask people, I would ask through the interpreter, can I touch you? Can I touch your hand? And because I knew that some of them had probably been touched in ways they didn't want to be touched and some were blind. And 
as as destitute and lonely and hurting. And as soon as I would gently touch their hand, they would grab my hand and pull it to themselves and kiss it and caress it. And uh, what moved me was this team, this remarkable fellowship team of professionals that you consistently put together that goes into the most hostile, dangerous places of the earth. Um, I don't know that our people, our fellowship family can truly grasp not only the desperation uh, of those who are hurting, but the heart and the burden and the anointing that is upon our fellowship people who serve. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much, Bishop, for pointing all those really important points out that people don't talk about very often. I think what what stood out to me and what you were saying were three really important points. I mean, a lot more, but the three that stood out to me are number one, how the fellowship and you and your church have been in Ukraine before this war broke out, which positioned us, I think it was a God thing, to be able to jump into action immediately. We were the first Aliyah flight Mm. after the war began out of Ukraine into Israel. And before the war began, we were the last Aliyah flight out. And uh, there wasn't a day during the war that we weren't able to bring the aid. And that leads to your second point that I've seen in such a huge way. And what touches me so deep every time I go out to the field in Israel and the former Soviet Union or in Ethiopia, wherever wherever Mm. it is is that there are so many people who are hurting so much that you feel even scared to touch them. You don't want to do anything that would add to their pain. You don't want to do anything that would add to your anguish. And our idea of giving a hug, of putting your hand on the shoulder is an idea of comfort. And you realize how broken these people are that I think most of our listeners, I hope, I pray, can't even relate to that level of brokenness. And so that idea of what you bring is, yes, the aid that's letting them survive the winter, but that idea of touch and hug and love and hope is something that is so needed during times of war, especially when people are feeling so lonely. You see me, you see me, you hear me amidst the bombs and the chaos and confusion. And and we're thinking, like we said, of infrastructure and the lights and the water and with the yeah. buildings and the news and the so all of that. But you see me, I'm over here in a corner with five other people. And it's so easy to feel unseen, unheard, unknown, uncared for, untouched. Yeah. And you came here to see me and yes. you want to touch my fragile, frightened skin. It blows their mind. Because yes. all of them feel so forgotten and unknown. Mm. And, and the fellowship has this extraordinary capacity, not just to think of the very real needs and bringing food, absolutely, yeah. but also the hands and the touch and the eyes and the ears It's uh, that says, we, not just it is here, we are here. Yes, yes, yes. And what message is more powerful than that it's very symbolic that they're sitting there in the dark with the Mm -hmm. lights out without running water without hot food they 
feel like the forgotten people. And when we show up in the middle of a war zone and say, we're not only sending you food, we are delivering it. The chairman of our board from America is delivering it. I think that message, especially in a war zone, is the most important message we can give over as people of faith and people in a privileged position to be able to go back to our country and have electricity and have food and have running water. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And for me, as you know, it, it was full circle because my, my conversation with the fellowship began by watching your father yes. in Ukraine and in the middle of the night, seeing him sit there. And even, and you and I have talked, I, at one moment, it was just overwhelming to me to, to see what seemed to be an incalculable in innumerable needs of persons. And what, what's, what is the sitting down with one person doing? How is yes. that really helping someone? And then I go back and I'm thinking to myself, okay, Lanier, why are you in the fellowship? Because I saw rabbi, what was he doing? He was sitting in a room and how many people were in the room? Um, one. And what difference did that make? It changed my life. And then I thought, okay, boy, you know, kick yourself in the pants, get up, be about the father's business. And um, so watching, watching your father, the price he was willing to pay for one woman who was crying out and he's talking about feeling the cold and he's talking about smelling the stench. And at some level he had to feel what difference is this making? And for that one woman right there, and for me, it was making a world of difference. Bishop Lanier, you leave me speechless because it's something I think everyone in ministry work and those sitting at home uh, who so even a little bit of what they're able to into ministry work. I think it's something that should burden all of yes. our soul. Yes, ma'am. I want to make an impact and it forces us to ask ourselves, what does an impact look like? Mm. And there are all these fancy words that organizations use of we want to scale and we want to, and the fellowship has never lost sight of that woman in Ukraine who needs a blanket now. Yes. And as chairman of our board, you know that in our annual reports and in our impact yeah. reports, we help over 2 million people yeah. a year. But the magic of it is that we never lose sight of that one 95-year-old Holocaust survivor in the middle of Ukraine who needs a blanket. It's two million of those individuals. Yeah, it's 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 not two hundred people, it's two hundred persons. Yes. Two hundred yes. million or two million persons. Yes. Um that each one feels it and and is grabbing hold of anything that you will extend their way it's it's um it's a remarkable honor an opportunity the the people are real the pain is real yeah but the opportunity to help is so real 
Yes, yes. And I felt God um, definitely sending me messages the past month. And as I started to to also feel, I want to make more of a difference. Mm-hmm. I want to do more. Why can't I do more? Why can't I take away the suffering? Why do I just have to put a bandaid on the suffering? I want to take away the suffering. And we actually had another board member who a week before you were in Ukraine was there. And he went and he visited a uh, elderly home full of Holocaust survivors. And he sent me a video of this man who's blind, who's 90 years old, who when he was five years old during the Holocaust, he was holding his mother as she was shot and died in his arms at five years old, who never moved on, who never got married, who never had kids and is now alone in an elderly home in the middle of Odessa, Ukraine, without electricity, without running water, without hot food. And our board member went and with little tea lights, took a video for me of him giving him a blanket and giving him some food and giving him some water. And it touched me in such a deep way. And I said, when can we get a generator there? So all these Holocaust survivors could have water. They could have heat. It's minus five degrees. And and all the people on the ground in Odessa said, we're doing our best. Pray that it will be there soon. And, And the fellowship said, we'll do anything in order to expedite it. And our board member came back from Israel, from Ukraine, and we were sitting and he was updating me on his trip. And I looked at him and I said, do you really feel like you're making a difference? Because sometimes I feel like we're not. And he said, how could you say that? We're helping 2 million people a year. I said, well, you know, that man that you went to go visit, the nine-year-old Holocaust survivor, I hate to break it to you, but he still doesn't have heat. You went into the middle of a war zone. You brought him blankets. You brought him food. You brought him water. He still doesn't have heat. And he said, yeah, we could only do our part. We can't, we can't play God. And it was that evening, just an hour later, that I got a note from our partners on the ground in Odessa that said, thanks to the fellowship, that old age home for Holocaust survivors in Odessa, Ukraine has a generator. Tonight, they will have heat. Tonight, they will have hot food. Tonight, they will have water. And it was God's sign to me. The fellowship is doing good. (laughs) Let me do my part. You do your best. And I'll do do my part. It's so, uh, it's something we all struggle with, and I think uh, what God calls us to do, we say when when Moses goes up to heaven, uh, God said, "Did you fulfill your role as Moses?" And when we go up to heaven, He doesn't say, "Did you fulfill your role as Moses?" He says, "Did you fulfill your role as Bishop Lanier? Did you fulfill your role as Yael?" And we're each called to do different things. And, and you know, Yael, both of us grew up in ministry. Um, we saw it generationally. Uh, both of my grandfathers were pastors. My great-grandmother helped start a church in the Depression. All my uncles, cousins, your father, your lineage. So it, we've seen anguish, but it just feels that the depth and, uh, and the level of brokenness mm. in people's lives is so much deeper. Maybe it's not, uh, but it it feels like it. And the enormity of it uh, can cause us to feel so small. And we that's when we have to step back and say, but the enormity of our God yes. is so much greater than, than the enormity of anything. And we appeal to him and he uses us and he positions us in those spaces where we can make a difference. And by his strength, we will. Amen. Amen. I always think of the analogy when you talk about how the times are getting darker and darker and darker. I think of the analogy of lighting a candle. If you light a candle in a room that's full of light, you're barely going to see that candle. 
it's not so needed. But if you go into a dark room, in fact, yeah. the darker the room is, yes. you light one flame, one candle, you bring oh, just yes, a little ma'am. bit of light, suddenly it can light up the entire room. Yes, and so I look at the fellowship now and each of our donors who are giving sacrificially $25 mm-hmm. for a food mm-hmm. box a month, $50, doing Huge. what they can in these dark days, like what, what yes. you're referring to, that $25 food box Huge. lights up this world, this dark world, even Huge. more because it's needed so Huge. desperately. Huge. We've seen what $25 does for a person in a destitute situation. Uh, and then when you put 25 with 25 and then another, and then another, you change the whole room of those five or six patients or it's our God is bigger and our capacity to be used by our God is bigger than we've imagined. Yes. And I yes. believe I believe he's calling our divine imagination to expand and grow. And when we let him out of the box, he lets us out of the box. Yes. Amen. Amen. Wow. Um, I had a list of questions prepared. <laughs> I went completely <laughs> off of them because I just want to have a conversation with you all uh, evening. This is great. But I'm going to get back great. to a question I wanted to yes, ask ma'am. you, Bishop Lanier. You went now and you visited Ukraine and we heard about that trip, mm-hmm. but you were mm-hmm. also there in the beginning of the war at the border. Mm-hmm. What were the differences that stood out to you between visiting Ukraine six months ago and visiting it now in the dead of winter? There was such a lostness in people. They had been so blindsided. When we were driving towards the border, I looked maybe 200 yards to my right, and I saw this long line of cars that had been abandoned and young ladies, maybe in their 20s, holding the hand of a child, pulling the suitcase with the other hand. Their husbands were back in Ukraine fighting in the war. And so um, when we finally got to this center of this town and, and and I despised it because there were too many similarities, too many, too many familiar that it, it was, you could hear whistles blowing and, and officers yelling. And it was at a train station. And if they had flipped a switch and it had gone to black and white, you would have just declared you were, you were in another decade in another time. And these young mothers coming and the children and the dogs the lostness, the betrayal, the sense of betrayal. How could this happen? How did we get here? I kept wondering, what were you doing two minutes before you made the decision? I've got to leave now. Yeah. Were you watching television? Was your child working on their homework? Were you cooking dinner? When was that pivotal moment when you looked at your husband and said, honey, this is it. It's over. I've got to go. And bringing them in, trying to get them out of that scenario, that immediate situation, then taking them to a space where we had these indoor tennis courts because it's so cold, and yet we were able to place hundreds, thousands of mattresses and a dozen of these places where uh, refugees came and slept for the night and then to another space. Then then the, the government of Israel, thankfully, uh, streamlined the process of where we could get so many of them out of that crisis into Israel and do the paperwork on the other side of the trip, finally getting on, 
going to that airport, and I was in that airport again last week, but going to that airport in Moldova, and there's no one there because of the battle. The the it's all been closed down. It's uh it's dangerous for flights to go in and out. And so when we arrived, no one was behind the counter, no one was was preparing at a cafe, no one was pushing luggage. There was nothing there except a hundred olim, a hundred or so. Jews that we were able to put up on a plane and and to fly with them together to get out of that space for them to finally go home and to begin a new life. That situation felt different in that last week when I was there, they weren't going anywhere. Yeah. And so rather than retrieving them to take them to Israel to escape, it was you're not escaping. And so we've come in instead mm-hmm. of getting you out, we've come in to try to help. Wow. Wow. What a powerful message. Um, and it, and it reminds me so much as we, as so many different uh, stories in the Bible, right? That yes. there are times when we turn our hearts to God and beg for his grace and beg for his love and beg for his miracles. And then there are times when we don't deserve it, but God just comes to us because it's, it's not happens. based on if we deserve it. Yeah. It's based yeah. on God's love and going to the deepest, darkest places in order to save his children. It's a uh, it's a scary thing that's happening today, and we continue to bring out Olim. Actually, every yes. single day we bring out Olim, <laughs> but it's not in the two full flights a day yeah. like when you experienced it last winter. It's it's one thing to be able to say we're here, and we're getting you out, and that's the miracle. Yeah, it's another thing to be able to step into the hell they're in and mm-hmm. say we're here with you. We're not here for you to get you out. We're here with you to bring something in rather than to take something out. We're here to bring clothing and food and sustenance and meds and whatever it is. We're not part of your escape. We're, we're, we're here for part of your reality. This is who you are. This is where you live. You're not going anywhere, but where you are, you're not alone. Amen. What a more powerful message than that, that I think so many of our listeners can relate to as well as so many of us so often need to just hear those three words. You're not alone. And uh, in the middle of a war zone, we should never know what that does to light up the darkness is something that only God knows how it gives life to the weary. There um, are so many different contributions that you've made to the fellowship in so many different ways as far as leading our uh, prayer services where now people really know you over 10,000 people join and you join me in visiting the elderly distributing the aid and I know there have been so many lessons that you have learned as well um, as as a leader as a leader of a church and man of faith that I've seen you sit by yourself for hours just in prayer and conversation with God. 
joining the board of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews and then becoming uh, chairman, I know was a big part of your life. And I know mm. that you have um, a lot to share on it, but I don't think I've ever asked you this before. So I'm going to ask you now, could you share it with me some personal lessons that you have gained uh, in this experience of being chairman of the board of the fellowship? Wow. I, I knew my God uh, isn't just great, but greatness itself. Um, as I noted a moment ago, joining the board five years ago, I thought, wow, is life, could life be any bigger than this? And then when asked to become chair, it was like, oh my goodness. And I began to have access to, to hear and see uh, what the fellowship was doing, even on a grander scale. Um, but again, part of that that conversation, uh, we didn't get to have it as much as we wanted because everything was shut down. So it was it was this kind of situation. There were no wasn't my boots on the ground. But in the past year, on March 1st, you called, said, can you come? And so you can go to Moldova, have face-to-face -face contact with the situation, feel, see, hear, taste the anguish. Um, the immediacy of the suffering. As I said, we, we grew up in this. I, I, I spent much of this night uh, conversing with a young man who was trying to convince himself to remain on the planet. Um, and, uh, you, you realize I'm on a one-on-one -on -one conversation with this person who's going through a crisis, but getting on the board, you begin to see the massive misery, uh, on a scale that is, that is, if you're not careful, can be so overwhelming, uh, it can paralyze, you can analyze till you're paralyzed. Yeah. And that can happen and you can feel you can feel so um, ineffective. But I remember something years ago, years ago, I was a boy. I was a Bobby boy. Senator Robert Kennedy um, talked about ripples of hope, but he talked about ripples of hope. It seems small. And he talked about certain persons in history who dared to do what seemed to be a small thing, but that small thing had ripples of hope and it grew bigger and wider and more expansive. And so becoming chair, especially in this past year, I've been privileged and I really want to say this to our people, a fellowship family who gives so liberally at $25 or $100 or whatever it is. I want you to know that what you are doing, it may not seem like it's changing the world, but you are certainly changing the world for somebody. Their world will never be the same because of you. You may never see their face, touch their hand, hear their voice, but when we walk into a room and say to them, there are Christians and Jews in the United States and other parts of the world who love you and no one has loved them seemingly and no one has touched them. The capacity to bring change uh, is one of the is one of the most glorious for me gifts to me that my life has changed and I get to be a part of a people the fellowship 
uh, of changing people, uh, of changing warriors, of changing an army of of loving people reaching out. That's that's made the most profound effect upon me. The Incredible. big I say all the time, ordinary days can be glorious, but insignificance will kill a man. And when you when anyone living in Topeka, Kansas can know, I just gave $25 and I'm doing something significant. That's huge. And what a level of giving. The Bible talks about different levels of giving. Yes. And the highest level is for someone that you're never going to meet. You're never mm. going to be able to in person reap the benefits of giving that charity. And mm. I think about that often. I, I think about that Bible teaching often when when I hear you tell your story, Bishop, of specifically sitting at home, seeing yes, my father on the television in a far off country in the former yes. Soviet Union that you didn't think you would ever go visit or get to see. And, and that you are so led to help this woman on the other side of the world oh, that yeah. you will never meet, <laughs> that you will never hug, that you will never, but that you just wanted to know that you're part of it and for God yes. to know that you're part yes. of it. it. It takes yes. a righteous heart to even feel that calling. Uh, when I watched that, I, I I know from the from our Christians, this, this is a, a strange phrase, but I tell people when I watched Rabbi that night, he helped save my soul. Um, because I didn't know there was a part because my faith says you don't need your soul saved. You know, you have your faith, but, but rabbi helped expose something that I had not surrendered and it was bigger than money. Um, it was, it was a surrender of a level of surrender that I'm willing to be used for a person I'll never meet in a place I'll never go. I never imagined meeting rabbi never. Um, I, so just that, that, that pivot moment of walking downstairs, sitting on the couch, turning on the television, seeing him and that precious woman who no doubt now sees the face of God and knowing that it, how, how drastically it changed my life. It changed this congregation. Um, it changed literally the DNA of what ministry means for me. Incredible. The power of Genesis 12, 3. Uh, everything, 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 everything. <laughs> Amazing. As we celebrate 40 years by looking back at our past, we're also looking ahead. And that's what I love about what you contribute to our board and the fellowship ministry. You don't see any obstacle. You only see opportunity for growth. And that has rubbed off on me and I think everyone in the organization. And so I know what you see for the future is something that everyone should listen up to and take seriously. What are, Bishop Lanier, your hopes and your dreams for the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews for the next 40 years? Gael, the number 40 is so significant in our scriptures. And sometimes we look at the number 40 and we think of judgment. We think of it rained 40 days and 40 nights. And, and, and Noah's ark was bounced. And, but it was really about moving to the next. It was really about generational transfer. God was removing for the sake of replacing and renewing and restoring as a generational transfer. Moses uh, goes to the top of Sinai. And he's for 40 days, he's fasting to receive Torah. Why? Because these people had already existed 
but they needed a constitution. They needed something that says, you, you're not a pyramid people. You're a tabernacle people. You're a temple people. You need, it. You need to know who you are, a generational transfer. Um, Elijah, a generation of 40, 40, 40, 40, even for Christians. Jesus didn't go out teaching. Jesus didn't go out doing any miracle. He didn't do anything until 40 days of fasting. Why? A new generation. I'm not ready until I get there. And so your father, in every sense of the word, for 40 years was a pioneer of digging, imagining, hitting his head against walls, uh, knocking on doors that wouldn't open, and yet kept building bridges, never knowing if anybody dared would walk across it. Mm. And he set things in motion. Um, and I never... I never will forget my first meeting five years ago, my first. So I, I, you know, I don't know what to expect, but the first conversation your father starts talking about is succession is about who's going to replace me. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, brother, I just got here. <laughs> and, and you're talking about leaving and it, I couldn't, he, and they, we've started changing titles for you. You're going to be the vice president. No, you're going to be the executive vice president. No, you're going to be the, because there was something in the man that knew at that level, there's a generational transfer taking place. There's a shifting coming. He couldn't put his finger on it, but he knew two things that he was going to be leaving and that you were the one he knew that. And so you did more in the past three years than, than, than close the deals that he had, you, you were doing more than that. But you have been undigging wells that some folk had tried to cover up. He dug for 40 years. He dug some holes, dug some wells. There was fresh water. Lives were being changed. He was bringing hope. Uh, he was introducing people to conversations they never imagined that they could have. He spent 40 years just working it. A lone soldier. Um until finally starts to turn around and sees other people coming and the one soldiers becomes a platoon and it becomes a company and it becomes, and then it's just army. And, um, I, 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 I look now and there's a new Testament word. He was a, a pioneer. I see a new Testament word for you. And that is apostle. We, in, in, in the Christian circle, we use the word apostle, and it simply means sent. That's all, that's all it means. It's sent one. And for the next 40 years, what we are doing is we are we are moving like Moses lived 120 years. First 40 years, he lived as an Egyptian, basically, in the palace. Then he lived 40 years as basically as a, in, in, out in the Midian Desert. And then 40 years, he was leading people. We are now, the fellowship, moving into the next generation of who we are. And your father had an anointing to dig wells, to plant trees uh, so that people who had never dug or planted could come and eat and drink and engage. And you spent the past two or three years um, taking that to another level. But the next 40 years is going to be radically different for you than that.
um, you will no longer be known as a successor, but a success. And you would shy away from that and you would step away from that and you would never claim that for yourself. And I understand that, but others who are looking on see that and acknowledge that of you and for you. So that while the pioneer is, is building a thing, the apostle is sent. So I see the next 40 years as as expanding and extending and growing and um, to levels and to conversations to where you're going to be sitting in, in, in cabinet meetings that will be required of you to sit in because there's no way the fellowship can be the boots on the ground. If we don't know, you can't call us in 30 seconds and say, we need you to save the world if we don't know what's going down. And so your stature and your position is going to be elevated and promoted, not because you're clawing for it, but because they're clawing for you. They're saying, where's Yael? She needs to be sitting here. Not because you're a pioneer. That is established. That is a set thing. That that order is it's it's, it's practically uh, irremovable. It's, it's not going anywhere. But from that, your father spent 40 years building a platform and, and you're standing on shoulders so that a lot of people's drinking water from wells they didn't dig and, and eating fruit from trees they did not plant. But your role is going to be as an ambassador of sending, going and sending, but the bottom line is 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 moving beyond that centerpiece. Um, and, and in the Christian scriptures, it talks about going from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's that's what I see the next 40 years is moving beyond Jerusalem in, in the sense of our mission is always Israel first. But as far as our mission is, where are Jews in Judea? Where are Jews in Samaria? Where are Jews in the uttermost parts of the earth? How can we either A, bring them in or B, be there for them? So apostolically, uh, there is an oil coming upon you in, in the next generation. And most of the, our God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, not or Isaac or Jacob. And so generationally we should be moving, but the emphasis is shifting and your assignment now is going to be apostolically sent to take what has been built and established and releasing it and carrying it. It's just going to get so much bigger and so much greater. Unfortunately, because the need will be such. But in the darkest, as you noted, the tallest, the smallest light is just going to glow the darkness. Darkness runs from fire. You don't have to beg a dark room to run away. Just light the smallest candle and it can't remain. Amen. Amen. And with leaders and mentors like you, I, I have faith in every word that you say that good things are coming through the fellowship to the world. Amen. Bishop Lanier, thank you again for joining me today. And I know that we will continue to talk throughout uh, this about the special milestone, the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews' History. And I hope that you'll join me again on the podcast and at different events and different uh, virtual and in-person events that many of you will be invited to, to meet Bishop Lanier as well. And so Bishop Lanier, will you please close us in prayer? I would love to. Almighty God, you are the Lord of us, and we praise you. And as we are looking, as we are pulling the veil, 
on the first 40 years of a generation. And seeds that were planted in that time at, at moments seemed obscure and maybe even unproductive. But we look now, and not only is the fellowship, of course, in Israel and the United States, but we think of Canada and we think of Korea and other places that will become such a part of the conversation and have a seat at the table of significance of this ministry. I thank you for the oil that has poured freely upon this ministry for 40 years and for the oil that comes. I command over Yael now, not demand anything you haven't provided, but we fully command the authority you have put in our hands and oil that her hands have 20 fingers and her feet have 20 toes and she has 20 eyes and 20 ears. In other words, Lord, you are going to multiply and extend and expand her so far beyond what flesh could do. She will move not in potential. Potential will never accomplish what is to come, but power. And we believe this, we declare this, we celebrate this in your holy name. Amen. 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 As always, Bishop, it has been a blessing and a true honor to spend this time with you. Thank you so much and shalom. Thank you for listening to the Conversations with Yael podcast. If you like what you have heard, please check out my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, that explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith with inspirational and ancient teachings. You can also visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. Follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next month.